The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And this is David's pick on America's Web Radio, as a matter of fact. And we have a guest in studio, a Vietnam veteran. And uh, we also have something in common in that we go to the same church together. And uh, I uh, just met uh, Dutch the other day and found out that he was a veteran, a Vietnam veteran. And so I invited him to come in and um, tell his story. And so we've, we've got... Dutch starts uh, on, and uh, we're going to have a good time, Dutch. Welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you. Good being here. Well, it's, uh, we should have a good time, and we sort of go all over the place on uh, talking to our guests, and uh, you and I are about the, pretty close to the same age, I would imagine. Uh, I went into uh, on active duty at... Uh, in 1970, and uh, tell us, let's let's go through your background just a little bit. Where'd you go to school, and uh, how did you decide to go into the uh, military? Okay, well, I uh, grew up in um, the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania, a place called Allentown, which is about uh, 50 miles northwest of Philadelphia. And um, why do I know Allentown? Uh, Billy Joel. He had a song about Allentown being um, kind of a dilapidated place to live. It wasn't very complimentary. Hmm. But um, um, it's basically um, you got um, Bethlehem Steel, which which was a big producer there, a big employer. And then Mack Trucks um, was also headquartered in Allentown. and it's it's had its ups and downs, but um, anyway, I I um, grew up there, played uh, some football in high school, and got a scholarship to uh, West Virginia University, which is known as the uh, Harvard of Appalachia, <laughs> and uh, went down there and um, played, uh, and was encouraged by our, our coach. Um, to to join ROTC. So uh, while at West Virginia, I uh, spent uh, all four years in uh, preliminary and advanced ROTC, um, graduated, uh, married my college sweetheart, uh, Shelly, and um, we... Uh, uh, decided we we picked my MOS together, and we decided that, uh, or she helped me decide that uh, being an MP would probably be the safest thing there would there there was uh, given the time, which of course was the Vietnam War. So uh, got married, as I said, and uh, uh, graduated and went to MP school down in Augusta, Georgia, Fort Gordon. Um, for about, uh, I think it was uh, six weeks, and then was assigned to uh, Fort Benning. At uh, Fort Benning, my first job was um, stockade counselor, which was very interesting. I dealt mostly with uh, AWOL Mm. uh, personnel, and uh, on one occasion I took a prisoner shipment 
out to Fort Leavenworth. And that was quite an experience because, um, you know, we, we got in the plane, and these guys, there were six of them, and these guys were having a good old time, joking around, this, that, and the other. Uh, flew out to Kansas City, had someone pick us up in a van at Kansas City, and then uh, we went uh, to Leavenworth, and these huge doors opened up and um, took, took them in, my jaws dropping, and you hear this loudspeaker just say, strip naked and all of a sudden these guys got stone cold serious and went down they got hosed off and i said goodbye to them and um, anyway that was probably my most interesting assignment um then i became traffic officer um which was uh i had to slow down my wife because she was the one that was speeding half the time um but I uh, did that for about six months, uh, and then I decided... I'd and what fort were you at then? Were you at, I was uh, still at Benning, still, oh, Fort okay. Benning. And um, then I decided uh, that jump school looked inviting, uh, so I volunteered for jump school against my wife's uh, advice. <laughs> and uh, my orders came down, uh, three weeks jump school, one month vacation. I'm thinking, this isn't bad. Then the third paragraph said reassignment to Vietnam. Um, so went to uh, went through jump school and then um, went home to my wife's um, home in uh, West Virginia where we uh, spent about um, a month with her, uh, uh, three weeks with her folks and um, went up to Pennsylvania spent a month with or a week with my folks, and then um, went over to Vietnam. Um, when I went to Vietnam, I wait a second. I got to ask you. Go ahead. Most of my friends that were in Nam or went to Nam, they all say the same thing. Once they landed and started walking off the plane, God, is it hot here? <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't any air conditioning, and um, they, um, you, you, I flew into Benoit, which is out, outside of uh, Saigon, and uh, I can remember sleeping that night, for my first night, and it was in this big barracks where, you know, more, all the people that were first reporting stayed, and uh, reception to Vietnam. Yes, and I can remember sweating like crazy in my, in my bed, and then all of a sudden, uh, this loud noise hit. This this bomb exploding, and then, and again and again, I was I was panicked. I went to grab my steel pot and everything, and figure out where the nearest bunker was, and. Uh, an NCO came through and he said, uh, "Go back to bed. That's a B-52 strike, fifty miles away." Wow! So, so uh, it's funny when you're first there, you're jumpy as all get out, and when when you're in your last month, uh, nothing seems to phase you. You just get used to it. So anyway, um, I was at the holding area, and my um, uh, my CO to B came by and picked me up. And uh, we drove off to Natrang, which was north of Benoit. And uh, he, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I had uh, the, the uh, insignia for military police is crossed pistols. And the CO that picked me up had crossed rifles, as, as did his exo. So 
So I figured, well, I, I guess I'm not going to be uh, um, handling traffic over here. So he took me up there and put me in this school over on a, a place called Hontre Island for a week. And I was uh, I got a cram course in um, VC, NBA, and and pretty much uh, what was I to ex- what I was to expect over there. Um, so I tried to absorb everything I could, but I did I didn't get enough. And then I reported for duty. And uh, my CO assigned me to the south of uh, Vietnam in the Mekong Delta. And what we did, as a, it was, the company was a 61st MP company, and uh, it was part of the 1st Signal Brigade. And all we did was uh, provide um, security uh, to isolated signal sites, and then uh, we ran convoys when they needed supplies or whatever, and we cleared roads. Um, by that I mean at night, everything you shoot anything that moves. It's a free fire zone, and so uh, in the morning you have to secure the roads. So you have to uh, go out. We, what we had is two, usually had two armored personnel carrier with with fifty caliber rifles, and or, or machine guns rather, and um, went down and dropped off people along the sides of the road and cleared it to a um, a destination which is usually which was usually used on a regular basis by the you know the first signal um, outpost and then at night we came by and picked everybody up hmm. um, and um, I'd say that we we had the most action on clearing the roads um, in terms of it was mostly hit and run um, VC fire and then I guess the second most action was uh, running convoys but our bases for some reason never ever got an attack uh, we, we never had people in the wire or anything like that uh, there was there was no VC activity whatsoever and did, I you, was, uh, did you have a parameter of Claymore set up or oh yeah yeah, we had uh, claymores, claymore mines. Uh, we had, uh, of course, wire, and then, of course, Agent Orange. You know, cleaned, cleared out all the uh, the, the high high uh, foliage and everything. And then we had um, um, mortars set up on the perimeter, and that was it. Um, and, well, we, and we had M60 machine guns. You know, some of what you're saying, Dutch. Uh, is well, I'm not very bright anyway, but uh, conf- is confusing in that you sort of overlapped with infantry at times. Is that would that be a correct statement? Yeah, we had a lot of guys in our company that were infantry, and um, they either some of them were second tours, some of them were. Um, this was their first assignment. It was a mixed bag. And then we had probably, I would say, a third of our people were actually military police. Hmm. Um, and I think the reason they made it an MP company was because we of the convoys. Because they are normally run, they, they were normally run over there by MPs. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was more of a grunt experience and it was uh, you know directing traffic or whatever. Be careful I was a grunt. So be oh, careful. Oh, I love grunts. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. 
uh, it, and we, we had, uh, I mean, we had guys that were 101st Airborne guys. We had some 82nd guys. We had some 1st Infantry. You know, th- these were the uh, NCOs who were usually in on a second tour or th- some third tour. But they, uh, we, we had pretty much a mixed bag. Interesting. Did you, uh, when you would take one of these convoys or go out, did you have uh, air support at all? Uh that's another story. We we uh, we started out with artillery support, um, where we would call in coordinates. If we were hit, we would call in coordinates. And um, at that time, it was it was uh, late '69 and 1970. They were turning over the artillery to the Arvin, which was you know South Vietnamese Army. So when you called in coordinates, it was it hit a translator. It was then translated into Viet- Vietnamese, and then the Vietnamese would fire the well uh, the uh, artillery. Well, I'd say the first four times we tried this, um, three times the rounds hit short, and they weren't they weren't you know they, they were closer to us than they were to the enemy. So. I decided uh, we're not going to do that anymore. And uh, what we decided to do was call in gunships. So we had uh, access to uh, 1st Signal Brigade and some uh, 1st Cav guys. When we would get hit, we'd call them, and they'd come right in. And they were wonderful. They, uh, I mean, they got there usually within five minutes. Wow. Yeah. And... uh, uh, I have the utmost respect for all those uh, chopper pilots because of uh, you know they were they were sitting ducks. Uh, a lot of, a lot of times they did get shot down, um, and some of their flying into these isolated signal sites was pretty hard because they were up in in mountains, and they had gusts of wind and everything they had to deal with. And we had a uh, two of them went down. Um, they weren't the, the pilots and door gunners weren't killed, but they, they were hurt. Um, uh, just with wind gusts, just flying into these sig- signal sites. Um, but that, yeah, that was our that was our support, and it, it was pretty good. Uh, interestingly enough, the first thing that I was taught um, is when you are hit. Usually, what they did is they fired around at the front of the convoy, and they fired around at the back back of the convoy, and they tried to pin you down, and then they fired towards the middle. But they didn't, uh, you know, what you're talking about were mortars, um, every, a few rockets, but it mostly fall small arms fire. So we were taught, okay, you run it. Uh, if you get hit in the front, you just keep going and run right through it. Don't stop, um, which we did, uh, unless we had a vehicle or, or something that was, that was put out of commission and we had to clear it and whatever. But we... The only time that we we, we had to uh, stop was if we were behind a South Korean hmm. convoy. Um, they didn't believe in running. They would just, if they if they were ever hit and we were part of it, they would stop and they would counterattack, and we would just sit here waiting for sit in the vehicles waiting for them to get back. And usually they came back with casualties. I mean, they inflicted casualties. They were probably the toughest. Toughest GIs I've ever been around with the South Koreans. Hmm. Um, 
And they were, you know, they, it's interesting because you had South Koreans fighting for us and you had North Koreans fighting for the NBA. Dutch, but, we're going to, excuse me for interrupting, but we're going to take a break. And I started this without doing what I always do, and that's uh, taking a moment to thank our veterans in prayer and uh, also our active duty folks. And uh, they're so important today. And the reservists and everyone else and we have the greatest country in the world and we'll be back with dutch right after a couple of messages Thank you. Amen. And we also do a a little something that uh, we always love. And um, this goes back to uh, when uh, we were in or when I was in. And, you know, what what was the one thing that always got you that last half a mile when you were doing a forced march or... Whatever it happened to be, if you were at Garden, you were running in dust and sand. And uh, there was always one thing that got you through, got you to the end. And that's when your platoon sergeant or, or uh, first lieutenant or second uh, platoon uh, leader started up a Jody. Whoops. That's not a, that's not a Jody. What happened to my cadence call that's supposed to be there? Um it slipped out the door on me or something. But anyway, we always uh, always love those uh, cadence calls and uh, help get us through that last uh, few feet that we needed to go. And uh, they were... Uh, I still love Jody's. I, uh, I always get a kick out of playing them when, uh, when we're doing the show. And uh, it's... Uh, Something. Did you ever have the situation where, man, I don't know if I can put another foot forward and the uh, platoon sergeant or lieutenant started up a Jody? Yeah. um, We we had a lot of it in in jump school. Hmm. A lot of running, a lot lot of uh, uh, PT. Um, C-130 coming? Yeah, oh... um, we it's interesting because i uh, i really had i did more push-ups in jump school than i've ever done <laughs> in my life and i think i was a uh, you know i i came from a sports background so that's saying something but i um as i said i was traffic officer at benning and usually some of the craziest drivers we had on the posts were these black hats which were in turn the uh, airborne instructors. We call them black hats because they wore these black hats. At any rate, uh, they, they stood before me on many occasions, and uh, I uh, put down the proper punishment. And so when they saw me showing up for jump school, 
they were they had smiles from ear to ear. <laughs> so I was not lieutenant. Well, first of all, they, you don't have any rank in jump school anyway. But uh, I was simply the cop, hmm. and they would just say, "Okay, cop, give me twenty-five. Okay, cop, give me 30. And it was it was push-ups, push-ups, push-ups until my arms were ready to fall off. And uh, it was um, I don't want to say it was deserved, but um, they definitely definitely got got even with with <laughs> some of the penalties I inflicted on them for for uh, speeding or whatever. But, uh, yeah, that got us through it. I think stuff in Vietnam, when we were in Vietnam, it, it, this sounds corny, but it was it was brotherhood. And um, I think um, if any of you saw that World War II movie, uh, Band of Brothers, uh, it, 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 I don't want to um, downplay at all how much brotherhood means to uh, GIs. Uh, you get to you get to know each other, and in this situation, um, a lot of these kids didn't didn't volunteer, and they were drafted, they were assigned, they served honorably, and um, and and I say honorably, they 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 served above and beyond in many cases. Uh, conscripts. What's that? Conscripts. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I was right. Uh, I was sort of in the middle of all of that. Uh, the draft was going away. The lottery had come in, and volunteer hadn't made it quite yet. But in my basic, we had we had everything, uh, everything from draftees to uh, to volunteers to uh, lottery. So it was quite a mixed mixed thing. But interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing how people can come from all walks of life, and in 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 situations where your your life's out out there at risk, uh, you you just bond, and oh, no um, question, you find you know you find things in common. You, you you relish the differences that that they have in terms of. And, and you know there was and during free time there were always stories. <laughs> oh wait a second, wait a second. I think I mentioned this to you. I ask one tough question, and that is, can you name one vet that you know of that can tell only one story? Never, ever could I name one vet that <laughs> could tell only one story, um, and. and and I, I think the ones that are still alive, because you know I'm 77, the, the guys that are still alive are probably st- still telling the stories. Um, and um, as long as they talk about it and they 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 do tell the stories, I think that helps them a lot. Oh, mentally. no question. You know, and we sort of interrupting again. I'm sorry, but we always uh, mention the fact that you, a veteran are our history books today. And unfortunately, in public schools and even private schools, the history books are not telling the whole story. And if you've got kids or grandkids, no matter which war or what you were in the military, we pray that you'll take your kids up on your knees and tell them about what you did and what the flag means to you and why you fought, why you went, why you whatever. And uh, some of the stories, oh, we had a guy named Joe, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And uh, let, 
let our children know what the military and most importantly what our flag is all about and why somebody would volunteer to go and we all raised our right hand and swore to protect and defend and uh, kids have got to know that and uh, so you Dutch uh, you're you're a history book and uh, should pass it on and that you asked me the other day why do I do this show that's the reason Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean somebody's got to do it because um I don't know where I'm going with this or it's proper on this show or whatever, but I've got to say it. You know, we're we're teaching now, uh, I guess, up through third grade about transvestites. Yeah. And we're not teaching about men and women who died for their country. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, I, I have no issue with transvestites, but I don't think our kids... Uh, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade need to be educated that way. I think they can pick that up later on in life. That's absolutely. (laughs) And uh, you don't have to worry about what you say in this studio. Um, It's it's sort of like, you know, there's no civil... uh, Classes. Uh, there are no social study classes like we used to have, and uh, it just—it's a shame. And there's no appreciation for what this government means, and kids are not being taught that. And that's—that's that's why I say our veterans have a big responsibility that they have to keep up and and keep telling their kids and telling their grandkids and great-grandkids or whatever it might be. And uh, you, you mentioned this, and uh, we, certainly, we certainly talk about it a lot, is that once you've raised your hand, you've got something in common with people across the world. And uh, you're a veteran or you're active duty or whatever you are and we always mention the fact that if you see somebody in an airport or bus station wherever it might be that is wearing a cap that says I served on the USS well you know instantly he's a vet or she's a vet and um, it'll mean more to you if you buy him a cup of coffee or a dinner than it will even to them because you will feel so good about supporting somebody that has defended you it'll make your day make your evening make your month maybe but we always suggest that and uh, you know as i have mentioned before i have a vested interest in it with a son in the military right now and uh, and he's being deployed which you know i guess one of our greatest travesties in my opinion is my profession and uh our media has totally let us down, folks. Um, this station, we tell the truth. We've told the truth. We've gotten in trouble for telling the truth. The show right before this, uh, the Doctor's Lounge, we got kicked off of uh, YouTube for telling the truth. And now everything, every word that was said in this station has been proven to be true. And by doctors that had gone to Washington, they had been called to Washington, and, you know, folks, we've got the greatest country in the world, we've got 
abilities that no civilization has ever had before in the computer and the ability to find out information. So do your homework. And if you got a question about something, find out. And uh, I'll see if uh, Dutch will back me up on this. But we also mentioned the fact if you're a graduating high school senior or college senior and you haven't decided what you want to do yet, we suggest look at the military. Some branch of the military will fulfill your needs in something that you want to do, whether it's electronics, uh, radio, anything. It's it's just amazing the uh, flexibility and the things that you can find in the military. So look at it before you make a decision on what you want to do throughout life. Yeah, uh, something I did um, about... Uh Five years ago, we went to Israel Mm. and um, really enjoyed the two weeks we spent there. But one of the things that really stuck out to me was their youth, their young adults, all of whom had to serve military and or some type of a do-good organization. And And I'm talking about women and men and I think it was a two-year hitch, but it was everybody. So I don't care if you you you, you didn't you, you you came from a wealthy family, if you came from from a middle-class family, whatever, you served, and they were treated like heroes. Even the 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 people that were the young adults that were just walking around in uniform, they weren't even on a mission. As they were walking, people came up to them, shook their hand, thanked them, and everything. And it was a process where not only did they serve their country, but they also grew up. And I know that um, I grew up in the military. Um, you had to, and I think a lot of us. Over, over in Vietnam and a lot of people no matter where it has been Afghanistan, Iraq they, they, they go over children or almost children and they come out adults because the amount of responsibility that they are given requires an adult to, to go out and achieve it and therefore, I think, um, just to, to, to uh, echo what David's saying, I think it's, it's a great time to mature, to learn a lot about life, to not only uh, are you learning responsibility, but you're meeting people from different ways of life, different areas of the country, and it's an opportunity for you to uh, really more or less grow up so that when the time comes, to get a job or to go, go complete your education, whatever it is, you're be- you're better prepared. I want to throw out one other thing, uh, Dutch. You brought it up about Israel. We do a show called Insight to Israel, and um, it's sad to say, but Israel is going through some incredible changes right now, and not good changes, and. Um, you can listen to, go to our website, look it up, Insight to Israel. And uh, we've got a person over there that uh, we've known for many, many years and uh, doing a, a reporting job. He's Right now he's in the Ukraine, as a matter of fact, but um, 
or Romania, not Ukraine, but Romania. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does a wonderful job, Michael Gano, and uh, you'll enjoy his show. But again, if you listen to America's Web Radio, you may not like what we have to say, but it's going to be the truth. And uh, we bring you the truth about what's going on in Israel or around the world, as a matter of fact. So tune in and uh, let's get back. I, You know, what Dutch has been talking about, let's go back to Vietnam and, and your experiences there, Dutch. Well, uh, <laughs> I, uh, as I said, I... I uh, Flew um, a lot of helicopters. Um, flew, flew in a lot of helicopters, um, going from site to site um, when we didn't convoy. Was and this I, basically I, the Hueys? They were all Hueys. Yeah, everything was Huey. It, you know, the old two two M60 door gunners on the side and a pilot and co-pilot. And most of the uh, pilots were not lieutenants; they were warrant officers. So they they basically. Um, um, came up through the ranks and decided that that was going to—that's what they wanted to do. And they, uh, they to do that, they had to make, I believe, I think it's, it was a a six or eight year commitment. Um, and uh, they they were worth their weight in gold. They were really um, valuable. As I said, they were they were there whenever you needed them. Um, they were for the for for the most part they were they were a little wild uh, <laughs> when they weren't flying the uh, the helicopters uh, they they would drink these things called flamethrowers where they'd light the, the they'd light the whiskey and throw it down <laughs> and uh, you know they put the put the fire out and drink the whiskey at the same time uh, but that's just the way they that's just the way they lived I mean they 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 knew they were they were laying it down the, their life on the line all the time. And um, and so they they worked hard and played hard. This is uh, this is something that we salute every show, unless I forget it. But every show, and that's the dust off pilots. Um, they had to be either the craziest of the crazy or the bravest of the brave, and uh, they would go where no other person would venture. And their sole mission was. To get the wounded out, and uh, both the pilots, the co-pilot, and we've interviewed a, a lot of uh, nurses, and like most of the nurses said, we weren't necessarily supposed to, but we did, and they'd jump on a dust off as, as the dust off was taking off for a mission to rescue, and uh, those nurses would be there and ready when the wounded when they took on their patients and uh, you know like you said it's the biggest fraternity and sorority in the world the military and uh, everybody's a brother and sister and you know the first thing you learn in the infantry is that you've got your buddy's back and he's got yours and that's that's what it's all about is taking care of your buddy yeah, we. I mean, the other, the other thing that um, s- sticks out to me was uh, the cultures, the clashing cultures. When, when we had um, a couple of signal sites up in the mountains um, around the lot. Um, now, and what exactly did a signal site do? 
uh, they relayed signals for the entire war. I mean, they, they uh, any any radio contact came went through came through a signal site. So they, uh, uh, like, like I say, they 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 needed they they were plentiful because they had to be close enough to where they could pick up some guys right and 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 just uh, you know. Uh, take the site and relay it to the next location. Okay, this was basically the first of wireless. Yeah, and they did it. Um, they did it for um, the Marines, um, the the um, Army, and some Navy. You know, where they where they had the uh, boats in the the Delta down south. They were mostly SEALs in that thing. But they, uh, yeah, they, anything that uh, needed to be relayed, that's what they did. I mean, they, they they had the big dishes and everything, and that's why I can't understand why we were never, ever attacked um, in any of the bases. I don't know if they thought we had too much armament, which we did not, or what, but uh, we, we didn't. The, the whole time I was over there, and I think when I was uh, in, before me, uh, none of those signal sites were attacked. Dutch, you're introducing us to another whole set of of heroes, because it had to be a, a fairly scary situation to be out at one of those locations and never knowing when incoming would be incoming. Maybe, but yeah. Uh, and and the other thing we did, we we uh, we worked with popular forces. Uh, which is a, another story. When I was going through my training, all the VC appeared in black pajamas. Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, these, this is the enemy. Well, the first time we ran into popular forces, guess what they were wearing? They were all wearing black pajamas, and um, you know, and nobody told us. So we're we're, we're uh, you know, I was all set to shoot one of these guys, and they were they were basically. Uh, the um, it, it's popular forces was a term for militia. They were the local militia, and uh, anyway, up in um, up in the mountains, most of these popular forces were what we call mountain yards. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but that's rural um, population who who were uh, they were a darker skin and they were bigger than the normal Vietnamese, and they were tough. And um, I'll give you. Two examples. We had one gal that uh, kind of cleaned up the hooches for us. That came um, came up to me and said, "Die we storts, I think I have my baby now." And I was like, "You don't." She didn't even look pregnant, but uh, I, I would. We, we we didn't have a doctor, so we got the medic looking at her, and lo and behold, he said, "Yeah, I think she's she's ready." So we had to set up. Mortars and and run a special uh, convoy from uh, this, it was called Praline Mountain down to Delot, and I had this real tough sergeant. His name was Sergeant Matthews. They got halfway down. He radioed up and he said, "She's delivering right now." And I said, "What's she doing?" He said, "She's just squatting," <laughs> and she just grunted out a baby. Hmm. And they took the baby in, umbilical cord and all, and there was a doctor down there, and he uh, he uh, cleaned her up, and baby was okay. And uh, the sad part, about two months later, she drowned the baby because she couldn't she couldn't feed it. She didn't have enough uh, food, whatever. And it was it was it was a GI baby, I'm sure. 
but that's kind of you know you, the, the, what, what life was all about over there with the population. Uh, another story I had was same place we had uh, these GIs would take two dogs. Uh, they'd find these stray dogs. They were all over the place, and they'd find one, and they'd pick it up and bring it back to their hooch or whatever, and they'd, they'd uh, grow fond of it because that was, a, that was an outlet for them. It was a you know, friend. And unfortunately, the diet of the mountain yards was dog. So every now and then we'd find a dog missing, and the the GI would you know go go out go looking for it with his rifle, and you know sometimes it was on a spit, and uh, they were cooking it up for dinner, and uh, we, some of the biggest uh, ruckuses we had were separating these GIs from these mountain yards um, because you know they lost their they lost their buddy their pet. You know, we're going to uh, stop and let people think about that a moment. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be back with Dutch right after a couple of messages. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You love classic cars. You're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888 4783 or visit jctaylor.com/awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening and we're back on america's web radio and david's pick and our Vietnam veteran guest that, uh, you know, gee, Dutch, you're just like all the rest of vets that I know. You can't tell just one story, can you? <laughs> no, I, I think this is, you know, like you were bringing out the fact that talking it out, there are a lot of veterans that can't talk it out, and uh, that's why some of our our service organizations, and in uh, Johns Creek we have the Johns Creek Veteran Association and uh, many other associations, American Legion. And, you know, a vet can talk to a vet. A Vietnam vet can talk to another Vietnam vet, whereas a reporter can't. If they haven't been there, if you... Like the old Indian saying, American Indian saying, until you've walked a mile in my moxicans, 
and uh, this is this is like you like we were both talking about and and I and it, it's just great the the uh, camaraderie and brother brotherhood and sisterhood that veterans have with each other and uh, you know you'll you'll tell another Vietnam vet things that you won't even tell your family because you know that they can relate to exactly what you're saying and uh, not necessarily a, a pretty package but the truth yeah I, I think I told you David I had a close friend that went over to he was over in Vietnam during Tet and uh, it really it really the whole thing affected him and uh, he's still not the same person and that's 50 years ago and uh, he's tried suicide twice hmm. and uh, we 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 try to stay with him and talk to him and this that and the other we think he's he's okay he's getting help but um, you know it uh, one thing I've found out is that combat and war affects different people different ways well it's and, not a natural thing you know yeah yeah but and, and but if you have any issues before you go over there this is going to just snowball the issues and and uh, and and they're the guys that um, you really feel sorry for the, the guys that make it through but are tainted um, because of it we do a show called uh, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm and I'm sorry that we have to do the show but the fact is people, it was only 30 years ago and people have already forgotten why did we go to war but we tell them but the gentleman lieutenant colonel retired philip forsberg does he's the host of the show and he served in both shield and storm but he's also a service officer and volunteer with the dav and please if you're listening to the show you're a veteran or a family member that has a veteran in the family if they're listening and they need anything, go to one of the service organizations. I don't care whether it's DAV or, or uh, Americans, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, any of the service organizations, though, any of the veteran organizations, American Legion, uh, mm. you know, whatever it is, they all have service officers. And if your veteran needs help or if they happen to pass away, you have the government is obligated, and you have benefits that even many of the many of the veterans don't know that they're entitled to. So, and family members certainly don't know the benefits that are available to veterans and their families. Just go to one of the service organizations. Uh, veterans of foreign wars, VFW, American Legion, uh, DAV, whatever, and find out. Just talk to one of the service officers and tell them where you are or what you're doing and what your question is, and they'll get you the answer. Yeah, it, it's no sign of weakness to go looking for help. No. Um, and and unfortunately, a lot of you know, the rough-and-tumble vets think that it is, but uh, it's out there for a reason. And it, it's just a sign of understanding yourself and understanding that you're only human, as we all are, and that when the time comes to get help, you need to get help. Yes, sir. 
I, I couldn't agree with you more and well said. Uh, if you haven't registered with the VA, you've got to do that. And uh, particularly if you're having any uh, health problems, if you are exposed to Agent Orange or anything, be sure, one, you're registered with the VA. And uh, if you need help and you don't know where to go, like I said, go to one of the service organizations, ask for a service officer, and they'll be glad to help. If you can't do that and you need our help, just drop GM at America's Web Radio, and we'll see that you get that help. And uh, it'll be probably from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired <coughs> Philip Philsberg. And uh, Farsberg, I'm sorry. Phil, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Farsberg. Uh, and this is so important today. And we're going to have, unfortunately, I think we're going to be in for more and more. And there's going to be, there are going to be a lot of civilians that are going to be suffering from PTSD after all of this COVID stuff is put to rest. And, uh, you know, you said it. There's there's no crime or no reason not to ask your brother for help. And uh, a lot of churches have helped uh, folks that will help you. But anyway, uh, more and more people are being trained Thank goodness uh, that the government learned a lesson with Agent Orange, and now the burn pits from the Middle East have affected a lot of folks that served in the Middle East that are coming back and having problems. And, again, the government has recognized it, and they're, they're not waiting to do something. They are doing something. One other quick question that are not question, but thing that I like to point out, and we need your help. We need every veteran's help. We need every civilian's help. Is it since March the 29th of 2020, the National Personnel Archives in St. Louis, after they recovered from the fire that they've gone through or had gone through, closed because of COVID. This is March 29th, (laughs) Vietnam Veterans Day, as a matter of fact. Um, They've been closed, and veterans can't get their records if they need them. And this is a total disgrace, absolute disgrace. These people are getting their paychecks, but they're not working, and we've got to put a stop to it. I've gone to Congress, I've gone to representatives, and, oh, yeah, we're working on it. Well, they're not working on it enough. So if we can get a mass effort going to representatives and senators, get the archives open. So let's get back. We've got a few minutes left, Dutch. Is there anything that... uh, yeah, if, if I may, I'd, I'd like to put a plug in for Salvation Army. Um, I have uh, spent probably close to 20 years as a volunteer down there. And uh, that's another place. If you've got drug or alcohol issues, um, there's a place in Atlanta on Lucky Street downtown, and it's a shelter. And basically... Um, you go and you can register and I've 
dealt with a lot of uh, veterans that have done so. And it's a three-month program. The first two months you're in, and you get uh, that you're in, you get religious training, but you also get, um, uh, like I, t- I taught a class in how to improve your uh, confidence and self-esteem. Uh, you get how to go out and find employment. And uh, about on, on your third month, you, you're allowed to leave the building. The first two months, you're locked in. The, th- the third month, you're allowed to leave the building, and you're allowed, but you have to go out and you have to find a support group, a sponsor, and a job. And they help you in those endeavors. But the success rate of the that shelter is tremendous because uh, of the training you get. And then you, you're, you're like on a uh, three-pronged stool with the uh, support group, the sponsor, and the job. So your chances of succeeding are a lot better than just, okay, I've gone to the program, I'm, 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 I'm finished. Uh, so I, I would like to uh, just throw th- that out to anybody who may have a drug or alcohol problem um, and be looking uh, for some help along those lines. It's totally free of charge. Well, Dutch, I, uh, I salute you for volunteering, and that's uh, great to know, and I'm glad that you brought it up. That's, that's, uh, that's super. Um, you know, there is help out there now. It's the the folks that need it are probably not listening to this radio show, but hopefully their relatives are, or they'll listen later. And that you know, my goal throughout all of our shows is to help somebody. And if we help one person and they pass it on, then we've been successful. And that's. That's what we're here about. And if if you know a veteran that you think would be interested in being on, uh, it, it it looks to me like Dutch that you're going to survive. So <laughs> we hadn't been too rough on you. And uh, no, and my 77 year old brain is kind of hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's uh, better than hanging out, I guess. Yeah, you got it. But no, we uh, we appreciate you coming in and. Um, we want to work with all veterans and like i said if you know a veteran that you think uh would be good on the show or or bring a bring a different story to the show we'll always take those stories and um you know every from from reception and basic training and through whatever you go through there's always a story there's always a story and um, we love them, and like I said, uh, you are the veterans are our history book. And if you're listening, and you have a member of the family that is a veteran, get them to talk to you. Get them to tell your kids, you, your kids, what they did, what what it's like, and the friendship and fellowship that they. Uh, we did a very interesting show uh, on. Uh, remembering desert shield and desert storm on chaplains last week and uh, we can appreciate a chaplain at this point Uh, but you know how important they are in the military and um, 
there's the military is just I can't say enough about it and it has I wonder how many lives over the years the military has saved that the the kid on the street that's in a gang or done this or done that and is about to really screw up his life and he goes in the military and gets his neck popped right quick when he finds out that he looks like everybody else with no hair and uh, he ain't as important as he thinks he was and when like you said drop and give me 10 and he better do it or he's going to find out the circumstances or the results of not doing it but it has snapped so many kids out of out of terrible situations and like you said you go in as a kid you come out as a man or woman and uh, can't say enough about the military and how we feel about it um Dutch, you got any last words for us? Well, I just want to echo everything you've said. I I think what the military did for me is it prepared me for later on in life. Um, I I found that decisions that I made in the business world were a whole lot easier than some of the decisions I made when I was over in Vietnam. Um, And and I think that's what it does. You you mature. you, you learn to become a team player, um, and you're able to prepare yourself for, for whatever else life has to offer. And that's assuming you don't make a career out of it. But I, I, would, I would say that um, I don't know if I'd have achieved anything I've, I achieved after the military had it not been for the military. You know... You don't know where you're going in this life necessarily, but uh, the military get, does give you direction if you decide to stay in. And uh, so we've uh, we've probably gone as far with that as we can. Uh, Dutch, thank you for coming in. The one last hard question that I've got for you, and I don't know if you're prepared for this or not. Will you come back? Oh, um, yeah, I'll come back some. Okay, you got it. Folks, stay tuned for more on America's Web Radio. And uh, again, Dutch, thank you very much for coming in. My pleasure. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.